Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Oftentimes, churches don't realize that pastors of churches also need pastors. And I first met Billy and his wife, Kelly, about 11 years ago, we had a mutual friend, and he and some friends of his were starting a ministry called City Collective and invited a handful of pastors from around the country and a few from around the world that were starting churches in cities at the time. And my wife and I were newly in Los Angeles starting a church. And by God's um, leading, we got invited into that group, and Billy became a pastor in my life, even as I pastored other people. And his wife has also become a pastor and a leader in my wife's life as she pastors and leads other people. And they are some of the most intentional pastors and disciplers I've ever known in my life. You know, a lot of people say, I'm going to pray for you. They keep meticulous records of what they're praying for, what God has done, staying in touch with you, following up with you about what God is doing in your heart and in your life, and consistently calling us back to the heart of what it is to just know and love and follow Jesus and take care of our family. And Billy's going to share with us this morning, and he just recently got elected unanimously by our board as well as one of our three overseers. And what that means is it's another layer of accountability uh, for me as the pastor here. The, him and the other two men, which you'll hear from uh, at some point in the future, uh, are basically the guys uh, that make sure the senior pastor here doesn't go rogue. If I start going crazy, these are the ones who will give me spankings, if you track what I'm saying. And they have full authority to do so. I want to read uh, their bio. And I believe two of their sons are here, or at least one is here. Honored to have you guys here, two of them. It's good to see you guys in the house. Two of them just moved to the Nashville area recently. Billy and Kelly have been married and served together in ministry for 33 years. They have loved Jesus, one another, and others in Russia Central Asia, New York, Nashville, Orlando, Dallas, and Oklahoma City. Their greatest joy is being the parents of Will, Caleb, Coleman, and Wesley, four boys. Billy is currently a pastor at Skyline Church, and Kelly is a sixth grade English teacher, and they see their primary roles as spiritual parents to a wide range of spiritual leaders, uh, which I see firsthand. They practice what they preach. Uh, God has used them and is using them to pour into leaders all around the world, and you guys are blessed to have them as overseers in our church because they've been praying for you already for three and a half years, ever since my wife and I've been here, even though they don't know you yet. And they will lift you up in prayer and hold you in prayer. Let's welcome Billy as he comes to share. It was amazing that the, the scripture today, Psalm 145, is, is so much, there's a, there's a sentence in there that is really the message today. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. I just want to do, now it's my turn to go back to my good friend Nathan. I mean, it's first of all such a privilege to be with you. Thank you for inviting me in. I know this is, this is your space, and um, for me to be able to be a part of it, it's, it's, it feels like a privilege, and it also is incredibly satisfying to be with you because we have been praying for you. And um, I just want to say with Nathan and Jessica, they've become very dear friends. And I, 
In an age where it's an anomaly to find someone who's building God's kingdom and not their own. To be around a pastor who is the quintessential pastor. Like he, he is, I was sharing it with Randy earlier today, like he has um, such a pastor's heart. I don't know about you, when he started talking about the Ukraine, my heart just started welling up. So thankful that I was reminded by him that, um, that there is an urgent need. It's almost surreal for me to be standing here, like for us not to, to feel even, even more emotional about what's going on there. And he also takes his kids to see Skillet. I mean, come on. There's something about that that's pretty amazing. But Nathan, thank you for, for your friendship and for your testimony of being a pastor who loves Jesus with all his heart. I come here from Oklahoma City, um, where one of my purposes in life right now has been to care for my father. It's not just me, but my sons and also my wife. Um, we just put him in on hospice. Now, that can be for six months, but he's definitely declining. But I wanted to tell you that because I shared it with him Thursday that I was going to get to speak with you. He doesn't understand all of it. He's in a memory care. But there's these moments of real intentionality and like where I can tell he's engaged. And I said, Dad, I'm going to get to speak at a church in Nashville. And his face came alive. He's, he's excited. He's excited I'm here. So the message coming from, from the message today is, is truly coming from my heart. Psalm 92 says this. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Um, it's hard to find those people. My father's father uh, was a barber in a small town called McCamey, Texas. Anybody been to McCamey? There'd be no reason to. <laughs> it's about 2,500 people, or it was at its heyday when he lived there. But Fush was his name. Gentle, kind, just gracious man. And um, I didn't know him when he was gambling my grandmother's like life away or when he was carousing in Europe. I knew him the last 20 years of his life. And I was also privileged to be there in his last breath. Like I was singing Amazing Grace. It was just me and him in this small McCamey hospital. And just like his response to hearing that and then fading off and to be with the father was amazing. Um, when he died... Actually, before he died at the hospital, there were just streams of people flowing in to see him. And they'd come in and they'd basically say goodbye. And then at his funeral, I think the entire, the whole place was there. He was a deacon at a small church there. He was a, um, he was a treasurer for them. And my dad told me later, he goes, you know, granddad didn't make a whole lot of money, but he gave Hundreds of thousands of dollars to that church over the course of his lifetime. Now, he had been given some money from his, one of his brothers. He had four, ironically, my great-great-grandfather had four, um, four sons. But just his life was well spent. And when I knew him, he was fresh. 
and he was flourishing. And I'm so thankful Kelly got to know him too. But um, I've spent the last year really diving in and thinking about why there aren't more people like him. And why there are so few that really long to elder their towns, like eldering. Not, not an elder of a church, but just I've created the word eldering. I know it's not a good thing to do, create English words. But this word, for me, is what I think God intended when Paul said to Timothy, I aspire to be an elder. And then at that time, they were, they were in cities. They weren't, you know, there wasn't a hundred churches in one or two square miles. And so, how do I finish the race strong? How do I make this last leg count? Like I was thinking, I'd, I probably have about 20 years left. I know I look 30, but it's not true. My hope today is that I'll aspire you to eldering your city. I think it starts with your design. Oswald Chambers says this, a man is only joyful when he fulfills the design of God's creation of him. And that is a joy that can never be quenched. Whether your life is, is up right now, you feel spiritual, or it's down in a valley, you're feeling like, I just barely made it today. One thing is true. If you are living your design, the design, the purpose that God created you for, it that passion, that joy will never be quenched, the joy. So what is that? What is the design? What are we made for? Psalm 43 states it pretty clearly. It says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. We are made to glorify God. And I'm going to use my finger today. I'm going to point at everyone. That means all of us in this room. God created us to glorify him. He's given us that purpose. And you know what? It's always and forever. Just like Napoleon Dynamite's brother said. <laughs> Can't remember his name. Sorry. I asked my sons, they told me, and I've totally forgotten already. It's not Rico. Kip. Go back and watch that movie. That's the one thing you'll take from my sermon. It doesn't come from a bigger stage or a platform. It comes from a surrendered heart. <laughs> Connected your heart to Jesus' heart. I've been uh, basically focused on discipleship my entire ministry life. And there's so many programs, ways to fulfill this command of going. Um, but none of it matters. None of it works if your heart is not connected to Jesus. In John, my favorite portion of the Bible, John 15, 16, and 17. What a great three chapters. Especially John 15, the first 11 verses, my very favorite, where he talks about the parable of the vine and the branches. The branches can do nothing apart from the vine. He says, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. No thing can be done if your heart is not connected to Jesus. And here it says, at the end of those verses comes verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, what? 
By producing. No. By bearing fruit. That is how you prove to be his disciple. You, you prove by abiding in him and allowing him to live his life through you. That's how the fruit and your purpose is fulfilled in life. And abiding really is the first command. It's loving the Lord your God with what? With all your heart. It starts with heart. Our heart on its own will grow cold, but in his presence, springs of life will flow. John 7, Feast of Tabernacles. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and called out in a loud voice. And literally, think about that. This festival was to celebrate the greatest religion of all time, the Jewish religion. And the priest was just about to speak, and there's Jesus in the back row screaming. If anyone is thirsty here, let him come to me. That was the prerequisite. Come to me and what will happen? That wellspring, your heart will actually flow living waters. And that word, um, what's the word? The word rivers is literally translated torrents. You can't stand in this kind of water. You are swept away. It's so powerful. How does it happen? It comes simply by coming. Coming. That's where it starts. You have to come to him. So what happens over years of that coming? Over years of staying connected, people become more focused on loving others than themselves. You know the type. They show up to a party, and they're actually in the corner with somebody, and they're elderly. They're loving. They're tenderly encouraging, building into, helping. Those are the people who have fulfilled and are fulfilling the design of their life. Andrew Murray talks about that word in Absolute Surrender, which I just read this week. And that book kind of lays out, like, surrender is the word for coming. Like, you're coming, and you're coming with an open hand. You're coming to say, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my heart at this moment. It may not be my whole life, but I'm going to you, and I'm just going to be honest with you for half a sec. That's all I got, but that's, that is coming. And if you've never done it in this room, just try it. Try it. Try it for half a second, saying, I'm going to be absolutely yours for this half second, Lord. I'm coming to you. I'd like to share with you one of the greatest convictions of my life. We still bear fruit in old age, and we remain fresh and flourishing through coming to Christ and keeping our heart connecting, connected to his over the course of a lifetime. Does it mean that you're going to struggle? Absolutely. Are you going to actually get to a place where you go, I don't think any of this really works? Probably. But if you keep your heart connected to his, it will not diminish. It will not follow, fall to the ground. In order to become, um, to come to him, it takes just an open heart. Your heart understanding what his heart is. And if I were you, join me. Like there's many of you that might be an aficionado of a cigar or a sommelier of wine or an expert at something, a mechanic. I want to ask you to become an expert 
of his heart. Jesus' heart. So let's briefly look at his heart. Because it's when your heart connects to his heart, that's abiding. Abiding is truly just surrendering and giving your heart to him. We will still bear fruit in all age, and we will remain fresh and flourishing when we keep our heart connected to him, his. You know, I could say to Kelly over and over again, love me, love me, come on, love me. Come on, do something that shows me you love me. God doesn't do that. God doesn't make us robots. We, don't, we aren't forced to love him. It's just this one little simple prerequisite. Come. Knowing who Jesus is and how deep his love for you isn't enough. Like you literally have to come to him. That really is all he asks. This relationship begins there. And the relationship continues when you remain there. So coming to Jesus, it's not just what your favorite podcast says or what the Christian culture lays out for you. Coming is realizing who Jesus really is. Who is the real Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? So I've changed my evangelism and sharing the gospel to literally just asking people now, tell me who you think Jesus is. And you'll be amazed at how strange their view of who he is. And then I come to the verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for my heart is gentle and lowly. Isn't that crazy? He didn't say, hey, fix your life, then come to me, and then clean it and keep it clean, and then guess what? You'll get something from me. No, he actually says, it's me. That's what you get. You get me. Through intimate time with him, you experience all the pleasures of life. Come to Jesus for who he is, not the one you want him to be. There is a God we want and a God who is. I love that quote because I know for me, I've wanted God to just destroy my enemies. Like, fix that problem. God, come on. You know it's a problem. Why aren't you fixing it? Or um, give us protection and security. Provide for my kids. Provide for me. You know, it's, it's, it's like the soda pop machine Mentality. Kelly uses this illustration a lot. Like, and some of y'all may not even know what that is in this room. I understand. But you get a coin and you put it in a machine, and the machine you get to pick what drink you want, and the drink comes out. It's like God is that pop machine. Like we we put in something and then we get something um, that we want in return. It's as if we put the money in there and and then God is supposed to perform for us. I'm finding more and more that most people have the wrong perception of who Jesus is. In other words, we want God to meet our needs, right? Like we want him to be the one that provides and makes things clear up and then we'll come to him. That's not the way he made it. He actually made it to where we come first. There's an old fable that actually lays out, I think, how the perception of Jesus has gone astray. Like, 
the, re, the, the real Jesus has been communicated poorly because the Christian culture often defines it for us. It's been passed down for generation which tells of an elderly man who was traveling with a boy and a donkey. And they walked through a village. The man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind. The townspeople said to the old man, was a fool for not riding. So to please them, he climbed on the animal's back. And when they came to the next village, the people said to the old man, was cruel to let the child walk while he enjoyed the ride. So to please them, he got off, and he set the boy on the donkey's back and continued his way. In the third village, people accused the child of being lazy for making the old man walk. And the suggestion was made that they both ride. So to please the villagers, the man climbed on, and they set off again, both riding the donkey. In the fourth village, you guessed it, right? The townspeople were indignant at the cruelty of the donkey because, they, because he, has made, he was made to carry two people. The frustrated man was last seen walking with the boy, both of them carrying the donkey. <laughs> How are you getting your vision of who Jesus is? I hope it's not for me this morning. I hope maybe I can kickstart something. But it's only going to come through your intimacy. Your coming to Jesus. Finding out who he is. At some point, you must land on who God is. Or you're going to be assaulted by all those around you who tell you who he is. Don't listen to the lies. Understand who Jesus is. Jesus... God, the first thing he says, asked who he is, he says, I am. Well, the second thing he says is in Exodus 34, where he actually describes who he is. It's with Moses, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will, be, who will be by no means clear? The guilty visiting the inequity, the in... Gosh, honey, help me out. Iniquity. Of the fathers on the children and the children's children. To the third and fourth generation. Where does he start? Does he start with the hammering? The holiness of who he is, for certainly he is holy. Like it's, we can't be in his presence without the relationship with Jesus. No, he starts with merciful and gracious. We're being told that God's deepest heart here in this passage is mercy and grace. And you know what? Jesus is the perfect embodiment of that mercy and grace. So when he came, as it's written in the New Testament, he actually presented himself as that person. He's not a thing. He's not a story. He's not a gospel that you go talk to people about. He's actually a person who is merciful and gracious. And he says, you know, if you do come to me in Matthew 11, 
All who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. Dana Ortland wrote a book last year, and he does a great job presenting this, this picture of God describing for the first time. Like, this is where he's saying, my heart, this is who my heart is. My heart is gentle and it's lowly. The heart in the Bible is the fountain of everything we care most deeply about. It's our motivation headquarters. It's why we do what we do. And when Jesus shows up and says, here's what his motivation headquarters is, what does he care most deeply about? Is really a very deeply surprising claim, isn't it? Like, I am gentle and I am lowly? Like, wherever you are, he's lower. He could be higher. But he's chosen wherever you are, whatever mistake you've made, whatever disastrous decision you've made, guess what? He's lower. He knew that his disciples were going to screw up. What did he do? He washed their feet. That's who Jesus is. So what do you do when you come to, to Jesus? You come to that person. You come to him who is gentle and lowly, full of mercy and grace. So I ask you this morning, what image do you have of Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? If he's not merciful and gracious, gentle and lowly, then I would assume that you're not truly living in freedom. That's not the God of the Bible. 1 John 1.8, won't go into it, but John, 1 John actually gives us the description. Hey, I know you're going to mess up. Here's, here's what you do. You just get really honest with me. And when you're honest, I'm faithful. I'm not going to stop loving you. So when you come to him, which I do, just full disclosure, I have to get out of my bed immediately and fall on my knees and actually give him the picture and my heart the picture. I'm surrendering to you, Lord. I'm not bigger than you. You are bigger than me. You are king and I'm not. I surrender my heart. You know what? You know, Lord, I'm not surrendering these things right now completely. You know that I'm actually struggling with these things over here. But you know what? You don't care. You want me to come to you anyway. It's beautiful. This God who we serve loves you that much. He wants you to come. And carry all that and lay it at his feet because his burden is light. His yoke is easy. Hebrews 4, 6 says, let us then cons with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help of need. Let us draw near to God with a lowliness of heart and be honest. Just be honest. And then abiding would say to you, just stay honest. And over a course of years, your hair will grow gray, but your heart will not grow cold. It is the heart that walks into the bright meadow. This is Dane Ortland, of the felt love of God. It is a heart that drew the despised and forsaken to his feet. 
in self-abandoning hope. It is a heart of perfect balance and proportion, never overreacting, never excusing, never lashing out. In other words, one of my sons said, he is the safest person. There is safety in Jesus. I just want to encourage you to fall in love with Jesus' heart. John 6 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Jesus never raises his eyebrows at you. He's not disgusted by whatever it is. He's actually wanting you to, he wants to enter into that with you. He will never leave you, he'll never forsake you, and you will not hunger. Here's another quote by Dane Ortland. He says, the only thing required to enjoy such love is to come to him, to ask him to take us in. He doesn't say, whoever comes to me with sufficient contrition or whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sin or whoever comes to me with redoubled efforts. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What is most deeply instinctive to him is not our sins piling up. What keeps us and our hearts from growing cold is our heart. His heart never changes. Our heart changed. Our heart changed the moment we accepted him. The Holy Spirit came into our life and he actually, Ezekiel 36, our heart was changed to a heart that actually longs to follow him. And when we don't do that, we actually find ourselves in our heart growing cold. So knowing his heart is one thing, knowing your own is another. Jesus says this about our hearts. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teacher teachings are merely human rules. You have you have to let go of the commands of God. Wait, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. It's not more work, it's more release. Your heart, Jesus is saying, is not dependent on what you do. It's dependent on me, is what Jesus says. It's dependent on me and our relationship together. It's not cleaner, whitewashed walls of what your life looks like. I've been studying the last uh, couple months, Proverbs 4. It's a great, great little section in there about um, guarding our heart. It says, above all else, guard your heart because from it flows the springs of life. Watch over, protect, keep safe. Yes, but I would actually turn it to another degree. And I would say, watch over your heart that it actually does what it wants to do. Now, that might scare you, but your heart actually wants to follow him. Your heart needs to be released. You need to release it to actually go after the longings that you have for him. Don't be mistaken that there's something that you have to do. It's actually a release knowing what your heart is, and then allowing it to embrace who Jesus is. Guarding to me is releasing your true heart to love and worship Jesus. 
Your heart was meant to overflow with living water. How does it happen? It happens through surrendering, coming to him. We've talked through just some of the most basic things of Christianity today, and I, I hope it hasn't, it hasn't bored you. What I hope it's done, I hope it is, has aspired you to grow older. I've got 20 years left, maybe. I hope these 20 years, I'm eldering the cities I live in, wherever they are. I'm eldering people. I'm using my life to influence people for the kingdom. When you look at the older people, I won't point you out, you have hair like mine, but when you look at the older saints in your church, there's no doubt that they have resolute obedience. They, they certainly probably have sound doctrine. They've, they've gone through suffering without becoming cynical. All of those are for sure. And there's more, I'm sure. But one thing I will promise you, if they are fresh and flourishing, it's because they've kept their heart connected to Jesus over years. So I want to I just ask the band to come up, and I'm going to just um, finish with just a little exercise. It's not going to scare you. you don't, you're not going to be embarrassed. No one's going to know what you're doing, I promise. Only you and God. I just want to, you know, a great example of, uh, of knowing what your heart is is understanding that there may be floodgates from that torrential river that wants to flow out of your heart. You've placed some. And Jesus is not able to actually flow. You've come to him. You're actually connected to him. But you haven't lowered the floodgate. So the first part, if you'll just stand, stand with me. I just want to close by doing two things. I want you to, you can close your eyes. I'm not looking at you. I'm closing mine. But I just want you to hold a fist, all right? Just make a fist We're entering into, this is the first week of Lent, and Lent is, is absolutely described as a, a time where we prepare to have such an amazing celebration of Jesus giving us a relationship with Him. Through this season, we actually come to Him and we, we fast, potentially. We, we uh, reflect on things. It might be a season of forgetting certain things. But it's certainly a season where we are able to say, Jesus, I'm going to let go. But before we do that, we actually have to say, Lord, examine our hearts. Is there anything within us that we're holding on to? Is there anything that we haven't let go of, Lord? That we're, we've got our, our grubby little hands just firmly holding on to some of us may not even be aware of something so I'm just going to ask you to talk to Jesus just silently on your own as I pray if these words you know really are what your heart wants to say then just say those things to him Lord I'm coming to you this morning and I'm asking you is there anything that I'm holding on to is there a floodgate that is up instead of down and letting your torrential, torrential like rivers flow. Lord, 
What am I holding on to? Now I just want you to, to actually, if there is something, you've come to Jesus, but you know there's something there that's, that you're holding on to. I just want you to open your fist. Now, there's two reasons for that. I want you to let it, let whatever that thing go. Just, if you can't, I understand that. So all you're doing is you're just asking him right now. You're going, Lord, I'm being honest. This thing is something I want you to take control of. So I'm releasing it to you by faith. But I also want your hand open because you never let go of something without receiving something back from him. So I'm going to ask you now, just to, if you agree with the things I'm praying, just pray along silently. But I'm going to ask the Lord to to fill that place with something else, something from Him. So Lord, that's what I ask, just to ask that you would replace the things I'm giving to you with more of you. Would you give me the, the grace to hear you, Holy Spirit, and to obey, not just surrendering, but actually receiving the goodness of who you are, Lord, the real Jesus. May you come in and be fully where you, where you long to be, and that's in our heart. So we surrender and we receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we pray for Billy and Kelly and their sons and their friends. We pray your blessing upon them, Lord. We pray they will know how much we love them, God, and are thankful for them. And we pray that their family would continue to be so knit together um, in, in the power of how you've called us to be knit together, bonds of love that are deeper than we can even comprehend. And I pray you'll draw every one of them continually closer to yourself, God, and that you'll bless them abundantly in Jesus' name. Um, if you're coming to Newcomers Connect, after I prayed it's benediction, just walk up these stairs and meet me up there. One of our team members will be up there. There's some food and coffee for you. Um, really honored to have you here with us. I'm going to pray this benediction out of Romans 15, 5 through 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. amen. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon. Woo.